I got a girl with a mind on love The kind of love that is dangerous It knocks me down but I get back up Hey everyone, welcome back to Kevin and the Wu-Tang Clan. Uh, today, I have my brother back on the podcast amidst all this coronavirus stuff um, that's going on. I think we're on like going into week two or week three of being self-quarantined here in New Jersey, Mike. My my beard is getting, uh, is growing out um, <laughs> after two weeks and it still doesn't look <laughs> like anything really. Um, kind of in that middle point where it's getting a little bit disgusting to the point where my my parents are thinking about shaving it um, while I'm sleeping because of how horrific it looks. Um, But yeah, this is what we have um, been, we've kind of been uh, reduced to, like making podcasts and trying to figure out ways to spend our time. So Mike, thanks again for joining uh, me on the podcast. Yeah, of course. And uh yeah, I could tell. I, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I think I've seen Kev you with a little bit of scruff. I think you might be over exaggerating it a little bit. I know how slowly that stuff grows. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's not a pretty sight right now at all. So um, yeah, thankfully I'm not out of the house and don't have to show anyone what it looks like other than um, our two loving parents. So thankfully uh, they're still keeping me in the in the house and letting me stay in the house. Um, Mike, but today's topic of conversation um, is actually a little bit different than our usual talks that we normally have um, between both of us. I usually bring you on for uh, your fantasy football advice or uh, talking about uh, the football season. We talked about uh, day one of NFL free agency and a lot of other stuff happened during free agency, but we're actually kind of veering towards a different direction for this podcast, Mike. Um, and we're actually going to be talking about sports technology and where it's going into the future, um, projecting different things, talking about maybe a couple of different companies that are on the cutting edge and just in general, talking about what technology, how important technology is in this ever-growing, um, I guess, market for sport, for this niche market of sports. And um, I I thought of no better person to bring on than my brother, who's in the tech startup type of world. And uh, yeah, it has an extreme uh, wealth of knowledge in technology. So Mike, I'm glad that we could bring you on to talk about all this stuff. Yeah, no, this, I think this will be exciting. I think this will be something different that we don't really like talk about on the podcast. Um, yeah, I, I, I hope some of the listeners here are interested in technology. Uh, I know this is usually a sports podcast, but yeah, just being able to hear and, um, you know, discuss some of the latest trends in, in sports tech, definitely a really interesting space right now. There's a lot of innovation. We'll get into it, some different areas in particular for sports innovation. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I'm, you know, my background, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of technology, huge fan of startups. And uh, yeah, this is, this is something that I'm really passionate about overall. Totally. Yeah. So Mike, why don't we start off with that first before we get into like just talking about uh, the tech side of things. Um, what is your background and like why are you so interested in um the tech space yeah so uh i uh i did computer science in college 
And, you know, after college, I didn't really go into tech per se. I went to uh, this consulting firm, McKinsey. But after two years at McKinsey, uh, I went into this new startup when it was like a Series B startup. It's called Scale AI, and I'm currently working there now. But basically what we do is we, like our mission is to accelerate the development of AI. So, uh, so basically, just a little reach out for users who don't know too much about machine learning, artificial intelligence, but a lot of these um, technologies require a lot of data labeling, right? So basically, like if you want a self-driving car, right, you need to feed it hundreds of thousands of images of what a traffic light is, red, green traffic light, whatever, right, so that the model could predict it if it were to see it in the future. So our startup, Scale AI, uh, provides that data labeling for a bunch of like big, you know, AV autonomous vehicle companies. But we're also starting to get into like non-AV technologies. So you know, one interesting place that it could apply to is in uh, sports as well, right? Right. Exactly. So Mike, thanks for the little rundown of your. Uh of your bio there, but I think it's really interesting to kind of talk and we'll get into the machine learning stuff um, because for me, I don't have that technical background. So I'm probably going to just give you the floor when we get to that point. Um, so you can talk over me um, and kind of educate some of the listeners that might not be so well versed in, in that space or that field of stuff. But what I did want to talk about first is actually talk about, I think, when a lot of people think about sports technology or technology and how that intersects with sports, um, I think a lot of people either think about two main, two mainly, and then I guess this third way is uh, really emerging, but I think two main ways that most people think about sports and technology and how they intersect are uh, the digital media and the growing market there. Um, and then wearable tech like fitness and health. Um, and then I think the third emerging market is kind of that sports gambling and how, what type of effect online gambling has um, and how technology can enhance that type of experience, especially with a lot of the legal burdens um, being removed, um, especially in the United States in regards to sports gambling. So Mike, I actually want to talk about digital media first and what you think in terms of how tech is kind of penetrating that space, especially digital media focused mostly on, uh, on the sports side of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's been a lot of innovation that has gone on for digital media, but talking through like a few companies, like, you know, obviously we're both huge fans of the ringer right? Um, mm -hmm. That's one area where it's like you have like this big personality, Bill Simmons, who is able to like build upon his podcast and, and that kind of like platform for his podcast and build it into this whole uh, multimedia site, right? And then you have some other, other interesting startups going on there. Like you had Bleach Report, which is quite old at this point. It was founded in like 2005. And they mm -hmm. ended up selling to CBS for about 175 million. But you know, Bleacher Report was kind of that initial like foray of like having a platform where you could have some writers who know something about sports and these creators directly writing and engaging with fans, right? 
Right. Now we're kind of seeing this whole other phase of like, let's say like the athletic. Um, this is like a sports website where more professional writers and more like experienced writers can, can, uh, can write on these different sports topics, but it's, it's a much more like high quality versus Bleacher Report, which was kind of, you know, had that branding for being like lower quality content, but The Athletic was founded just like four years ago and, and they're doing really well actually. Um, you know, every year they've kind of raised some funding, but their latest round was at like 50 million, uh, mm. sorry, 50 million in funding at a $500 million valuation, which, you know, you see like the death of media and honestly, like it, it, it was very counterintuitive and surprising that The Athletic was doing so well with this kind of like, yeah, with just like a very different approach um, from all these trends where it's like newspapers, uh, writing are dying, right? but they're doing actually quite well. Right. And like the athletic model is very interesting in terms of that subsi- subscription based model where um, you have to subscribe and pay, I believe, a monthly fee. Um, I, I'm not sure how much the fee is. I think it's like five to ten dollars a month. I think it's five dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Something like, five, that. something like that, where you have to pay that uh, per month and you get access to all these different writers. And um, we're kind of seeing that in different markets, especially with like, uh, you know, Disney plus ESPN plus is kind of bundled into that now. And they're just using different, um, I guess, at Avenue revenue uh, streams to try to, um, I guess, build up um, a certain amount of uh, revenue from different areas. And it's, it's really interesting. You kind of mentioned the ringer that ended up, they ended up Spotify ended up acquiring the ringer for, I believe something like close to $200 million um, as well. And then you kind of touched on um, um, Bleacher Report. There's also Barstool Sports that got uh, acquired by Penn National Gaming. Uh, I think they bought a 36% stake um, in Barstool Sports for, I believe, $160 million, which gave the valuation of Barstool Sports to like $450 million, um, which is kind of, it's kind of crazy to think like a blog can be worth that much money, but they're definitely doing something right there to be able to acquire um, the, the, the attention that it has um, and match it up with the valuation. And I think with um, what Penn National Gaming is trying to do with Barstool Sports is that natural marriage between them and uh, possibly uh, making Barstool themed like bars um, that you can bet bet mm. in those bars. So there's mm. yeah, That's sorry, yeah, there's there's a lot of different. Um, ideas that are floating out there with these multimedia companies um, that are being sold and acquired by these bigger companies um, to ha- to be basically their sports arm um, of the bigger company. Yeah, no, that's, that's kind of interesting that that is what their business model ends up being. Um, like all the companies that we've discussed kind of have different business models here. You have like your your Bleacher Report, which is, is free content, right? They're you know paying, getting paid based off of the advertisements. Um, Bill Simmons as well. He's also doing the advertisement route. 
where I don't know how many like ZipRecruiter ads, uh, like random man that I've heard from all of his podcasts. Um, that's one way. ZipRecruiter, yeah, yeah. CDs, whatever. <laughs> so they, you know, that's one way to monetize these digital media sites. It's just advertisements, and that's that's kind of been the case for if you look back at most newspapers in the past, um, and honestly, the way sports. A lot of sports, because it's able to attract so much attention and eyeballs, has been able to monetize in the past. This, uh, the athletic, right? That's more of like the ESPN Plus route of the bundling and subscription services. That's another, um, you know, way you can monetize and another business model there. But then, um, but yeah, like I, it's there's no one approach that's correct. And and honestly, like the the Barstool one is interesting because it seems like. You know, Barstool has that whole brand of being very, um, very useful, very useful, kind of trashy. Um, oh, you honestly, don't want all the stool- you don't want all the stoolies after you, Mike. If you if you if you refer to them as trashy, but I would say they they do have like a certain market. Um, it, yeah, it, that it's useful. It's it's entertaining. I I listen to the stuff. Like it's just like it's pure entertainment for content. Mm-hmm. Right, but it's uh it's interesting that they're able to monetize in such a way that they're able to utilize their brand like i'm not sure that something like the athletic or, or bleacher report really have that strong of a brand as like barstool sports right right where you know the athletic and bleacher report like they're they're aggregate platforms right mm-hmm. um yeah they're basically aggregating platforms but for those two you know the athletic and bleacher report i think that those are interesting because you have this dynamic where it's a platform, but what it's really doing is really directly connecting these writers to, uh, to certain readers, right, who are kind of micro-targeted and interested in, let's say, like, you know, we're big fans of the Jets and, and the Nets, right? But The Athletic might have, like, a, a premium, like, a, you know, experienced writer who is able to put out high-quality content specifically for the Nets, or the, like Jets. Con- yeah. or the Jets has that contact, right? And I think that that's, that's kind of where it's going to go, right? We're not just in, like, sports media, but we're kind of seeing that trend of, like, you know, the Patreons of the world. Um, you know, like, YouTube is, like, the biggest example where people are, like, creators and writers are able to directly connect with their audiences. And I think that sports is, is kind of the same thing. And I think that, like, if you really want to use that whole like creator to directly, you know, connecting with the reader um, kind of dynamic. You could also talk about like something like the Players Tribune as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that site is one where athletes can directly, you know, write and publish certain long form articles uh, directly to, to certain fans who, who want to like kind of hear the perspective of the athlete. Like I remember reading something with IT when he got traded, and I think that one really like was a really emotional and like story that resonated right. with a lot of people. Um, but yeah, it, it's just like a very different kind of perspective and content creation. So I, I think that you know you need to have that unique content creation, whether it's just high quality, whether it's like the voice of like the athlete, like that kind of differentiated content. Um, is going to just be more and more valuable. Yeah, and it, yeah, and I think it was kind of addressed like um, a cert, 
like certain companies have their niche of things like and their way of doing things like we kind of talked about the ringer they really specialize in a lot of the podcasting type of stuff um mm-hmm. in in the audio form um and then just in terms of like there there's different companies that were basically born out of like off of like instagram you know what i mean and just like having like an instagram handle that like basically took clips of of different sports highlights um so it's it's really interesting that you can have different ways and of of basically creating content whether it be through instagram uh twitter's giving the voice to all these different athletes um you kind of also mentioned um the uh, players tribune in terms of being another way that it gives uh the players voice um, in a long format type of way. Um, so there's so many different uh, ways of doing things. I think one of the things that um, I wanted to like pose a question to you in terms of traditional media or traditional sports media, like the ESPNs of the world, like the, the, the big power player uh, within the media market, where do you see ESPN kind of uh, pivoting and moving to um, because I think they have, they're kind of like in this interesting dilemma because they were so good at creating like highlight shows um, back in the day with SportsCenter. Um, and then nowadays with that being phased out because of Instagram and um, all these different accounts kind of doing the clipping as soon as the sports happen or as soon as the plays happen, um, when you're watching sports center the next day, you've already seen it on, on rerun like 10 times. So Mm -hmm. I'm curious to see where like SPN goes with this model. And this is something that has been talked about a bunch throughout a bunch of different uh, podcasts. Um, And, you know, we've kind of heard from Bob Iger in in terms of, um, and in terms of like when he was getting interviewed by Simmons on Bill Simmons's podcast, they talked about, this idea of like the ESPN plus model moving towards like a subscription based type of model and that way being one form of revenue, but not being, they're not putting all their eggs in one basket. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean like ESPN being part of like the Disney kind of umbrella, it kind of helps their overall bundle. Like you could say like the athletic bundles, a bunch of um, more local, like, high quality writers together. And for some people that's an engaging bundle, but for, I, I don't know, I, it's not like I subscribe to The Athletic, to be honest, just because there's so much free content out there. Um, and yeah, it's just like, it's hard for any consumer to kind of have that infinite amount of time. So I actually don't subscribe to, to The Athletic. I, I mostly get my sports from like ESPN free articles, Bleacher Report, I read the Players Tribune. And also just like looking at other non, not just like sports related, but like something like Instagram, which has a variety of content, but following like a lot of those accounts. Um, right. But for, but for ESPN, I think that for them, like that, they're moving to live sports. And that's something that is very, it's going to just be very, very hard to replicate. It's like an almost impossible. Like it's impossible to replicate it. And I think that, you don't get as real time as just watching the actual game as it happens. So, you know, 
all of that content is going to go from like ESPN where people will have the eyeballs on to maybe like reformatting some clips, not onto ESPN anymore, but it'll probably be on like a platform like, like Instagram, TikTok, whatever. Yeah. So you kind of mentioned TikTok and that being another form of, of like media and, and another way that people are, are kind of engaging with uh, a different sort of, I would say, age group slash, um, I guess, population. But where do you kind of see this going in the future in terms of, and I, I think at this point, it, it's kind of, I, I would boil it down to two, I guess, different models in terms of like, that subscription-based model that the athletics had compared to maybe like the free content that maybe Bleacher Report just kind of puts out there and which one of those two models win now and which is more profitable at the end of the day? Yeah, I, I, I honestly think that there's going to be space for both models to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think that there will be for like both models to exist. I think that the athletic, something like ESPN Plus, which I, you know, I would pay for, uh, like the athletic is just like too time consuming, but because it's like these longer form articles, but ESPN Plus, like that's kind of something that I enjoy more. It's much more video-based content. Um, Yeah, it's more video-based content, which is something that I like. And it's just kind of my opinion of, of a better kind of more engaging content form for me. But for me, I, you know, I, I think that there's only so much content like one person can consume with the limited amount of time that they have, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like I'm already listening to Bill Simmons and J.J. Reddick's podcast uh, like once a week each, right? And I really like those. But I think that what we'll see in the future is like you are going to want that more hyper-specific um like kind of matching between like supply and demand if that makes sense so like you know for me like i listen to bill simmons now or jj reddick's podcast now and i i think i'll I'll still listen to them but let's say that there were someone who were more targeted to me as a user like someone let's say like if i don't know jeremy lynn made like a really good podcast or something like that could be something that i might you know, rather than spending that hour on J.J. Reddick's podcast, if, you know, Jeremy Lin or some kind of, like, Asian perspective, you know, like, got all these, like, similar type of content that's high quality, maybe got, like, these athletes on there to talk, like, I might listen to that instead, right? So I think that the, the content, like, Bill Simmons has that Boston market completely locked down, Right. But for, you know, that person in, like, let's say, D.C. or, like, California, like, they might listen to Bill Simmons now, but let's say that there's a more targeted kind of content that's just as high quality. I think that that, um, yeah, that might steal some listeners away. Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting because I think that's kind of what The Athletic is doing with their subscription-based model because they're getting writers from all over the world and from different regions to cover different sports and different teams. And it kind of reminds me of um, what a lot of these, like, 
they're replacing the local newspaper in in that way and basically hiring these people um, to be the the insiders for the baseball team. So you could kind of uh, see what the New York Yankees are doing on a daily basis and get that inside information uh, from like a beat writer that uh, for the athletic that you might not normally get from a national writer um, like Bill Simmons or uh, one of these uh, national, like Stephen A. Smith, one of those types of guys. Um, so you'd get like a little bit more in depth there, which I would find, I, I think could kind of uh, bridge the gap for a lot of those people that are going to be kind of wondering like what's, what's up with like their local team, like the Jets or the Nets or the Yankees. Um, so I think that's kind of where they're going to fill that space. Um, which will be really fascinating to to see. Um, yeah, I'm I'm kind of curious to see uh, where the digital media goes. But I think um, a lot of digital media has been or has been talked about a lot on various number of podcasts. Um, Bill Simmons' podcast has been like one of the podcasts that's really talked about it. Um, and Mike, why can't we be the Asian American uh, perspective? Um, on this podcast right here is Kevin and the Wu-Tang Clan. So that, that's probably the goal for us right now. Um, in terms of the next space that I did kind of want to talk about and touch upon is talk about um, the fitness, the health space, and um, what's being done there with um, technology and especially wearable technology has become more and more part of our lives now. And I think they're, the early, like, I would say like early iterations of it were kind of like the Nike run uh, app. If you remember what that was and you would place like a little chip in, in your shoe and then it would measure like how far you'd go um, in terms of mileage and, and the, the amount of time that it took you to run those miles. So it, it kind of started from there and it's gone from like all these different things. Now you have Apple watch. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of the company whoop um, that has like uh, a similar type of thing um, where you're wearing a watch. Fitbit is also become uh, pretty big players in this field as well. Um, so Mike, what are your thoughts on maybe the fitness health industry and how, what it looks like right now. Yeah, I think that, so the ones that I looked at before the podcast, I was just trying to do like a little light research. The only ones, the ones that I looked at were like, obviously, you know, Fitbit was a big one, right? And Mirror is another one and Peloton, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that Fitbit's more of like the, the monitoring and tracking portion of like health and fitness. Uh, it was founded like 2007, Korean dude, I think his name is James Park. Um, but yeah, like pretty good for them. They got bought for $2 billion by Google very recently, I think in the past like three months, sometime in January. But yeah, no, I, I mean for Fitbit, it's not something that I use just yet. I, I think for me, like I, I don't quite see the value of having something that's just for my fitness attached to my body right now, if that makes sense. But mm -hmm. something like the Apple Watch, seems like it has all the features of a Fitbit. So right now, like, I, I don't know, like, what's, like, the, what's, like, the differentiation between a Fitbit and, like, just getting a nice Apple Watch, which is, like, 
hooked up with even more things that I'd like to use. And it honestly looks like a little bit nicer. So I, I guess I'm still like trying to understand what the allure with Sipted is, but um, with like the mirror and Peloton stuff, like that stuff is like the whole, very, very like, very with times, but kind of the work, not working from home, but workouting from home. Yeah, where, I get what you mean by that. Yeah, with with like with Peloton, like they've been around for a while, but they're public now. Um, they're doing really, really well, and Mirror as well. Like I, I think Mirror just like came on the scene kind of quickly this past year, and it's kind of been blowing up. But they just raised at a three hundred million dollar valuation for for Mirror, right? But the Mirror has like a lot of functionality that I do think are kind of interesting. Um, with like Do you want to kind of go over the some of the functions because I I think while I've heard of it some some people might not have heard of it so yep. Peloton's like uh, basically um, cycling right but there's like this community based um, community like built into that with a lot of the um, workouts being it like you're able to stream a lot of the workouts from the from the bike itself from home. So you're able to follow along with the workouts at home um, and have like a month. And I think they charge a monthly subscription of, I believe like $40 a month um, by doing that. So you buy the bike and then buy a monthly subscription on top of that. And then do you want to explain what mirror is? Because I think it, it's a really interesting concept as well. Yeah, so the mirror is just like, it's it's just like a literal physical mirror as their product. But what it does is it it, it kind of watches <clears throat> and looks like while you do workout, it might kind of recommend certain things. Or I think it also has like fitness classes as well, correct? Yeah, I think it does. Um, I, I believe it does, yeah. Yeah, like both of them kind of, encapsulate that whole work from home movement um, where you just see like a lot of people, like people really enjoy these classes. You had like the whole class pass phase where uh, people want, were, were going to these physical locations to do like a class uh, like berries or something, which I honestly I like are still doing very, very well. Um, but then you have like this whole remote aspect with something like Peloton where people can kind of work out together, just not in like a physical location, but from their comforts of their home. And I, I think that that's like a really interesting trend. It's like, what kind of workouts can you do at home while still getting that kind of group atmosphere? Right. right. Like, and still no, have that community built in. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So I think that, the class, like the whole like Peloton and kind of workout from home movement is going to do quite like, it, it, it's really interesting to me. It's something that I might try. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not certain, like for the price though, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure how much a Peloton even costs actually. It, I, I just looked this up actually. It costs about $2,300. So $2,300 just for the bike and then $40 on top of that uh, per month for a monthly subscription. So it, mm -hmm. it's like an inch, it's like an interesting model to kind of think about. Um, I think they're targeting a certain group. It's not like um, your everyday person can really like invest that much money um on on their uh on like an athletic workout type of thing 
Um, but some people might find it useful and worthwhile. I think it's really interesting, especially like um, with the times that we're in specifically right now where we're kind of quarantined and locked in. Um, like there are different varying levels of what you can do to work out. Like you really don't need equipment to work out, but having a Peloton bike um, is another way to be able to go about doing things like that. There, there have been like other like companies that have like the, you know, just the, just the bike, it's stationary bike itself. The stationary bike has been um, around for a long time. It's just that it's, it's a sleek looking bike. Plus it's kind, it, it has that community aspect built in where you're not just on your own. And I think that's one of the key uh, like proponents of something like Peloton in comparison to maybe just having a normal stationary bike. Yeah, no, it's, I think that it's like the whole like internet of things kind of trend as well with like Peloton and the mirror, like looking at the mirror, I do think it's very, very compelling to be honest, the mirror. Um, but yeah, like talking about Peloton, like it, it's a really nice bike, workout bike, but the whole element of bringing software to that uh, physical product and making it such that, you know, you could bike with other people, like you could, I don't know, make it like a competitive leaderboard, you can make it social, whatever, like you're just bringing all that software to like a physical product. And uh, yeah, no, Peloton's doing really well with that. But with the right. mirror, it's also like that whole platform, like physical, they're making like this physical, like uh, physical good, almost like a platform in itself, right? Like you can imagine with this mirror, like a lot of different use cases, um, just looking at like the computer vision use cases, um, you know, for the mirror right now, they're doing like workout classes, right? So um, just read up on it a little bit and, you know, it could connect you with like a, a personal trainer. And that's really compelling because you have these certain marketplace to like, it it's like a it's like a platform where in a tool that like this demand of people who want to work out could find someone like a, a workout trainer to give them like one-on-one -on -one fitness right and that's yeah that that's honestly pretty compelling like if, if you're trying to like lose weight or i don't know get strength training like you could have like that that trainer watching you know help you out personally right but that for that trainer as well like the mirror almost becomes like their source of, of livelihood that, you know, they're not only just helping you, but helping a lot of other people on this platform. So, you know, they're kind of stuck with it, if that makes sense. Like they can't get off that platform, um, which I It'll think be, is like a yeah. pretty good, good place to be. And, and it's not just like fitness, but, you know, typically like the other use cases of something like a mirror, like you want to check yourself out. You want to, I don't know, check out how you look into clothes. Like they get honestly launched like a mirror, I don't know, mirror fashion or something. Where they're right, like, where they're trying out different clothes and yeah, you like could that. have like a personal like fashion designer on the other side of that mirror, right? It's just right. like someone who's like watching your physical appearance. Um, so yeah, or like, a lot of different use cases. Like, I think it's interesting. Or if you're, right, or if you're like shopping, like doing online shopping on J Crew or like Banana Republic and trying on different clothing um, while you're like, you know, showing up on the mirror, that could be another interesting use uh, for that 
way as well. And I, and one point that I did want to make is like the idea of this gamification, um, I think kind of makes it like really fascinating for a lot of users because um, there there's that idea of, I guess, being able to kind of check a leaderboard or something like that to kind of have that added level of competition woven into the product makes it a little bit more fun um, to be able to utilize the product and and have like this uh, direct comparison with another individual that might be 3,000 miles away across the country. So that I think that can provide a really fascinating thing. Um, I get, the one thing that I did want to get back to, so we kind of talked about um, Peloton and the mirror, like two really pretty innovative things kind of using, um, I would say the mirror is a little bit different, but Peloton is kind of like revamping the station, stationary bike. I know they're, they're, they're trying to do it with like, uh, rowers and stuff like that. Like the, and, and I think that that'll be another compelling thing, kind of like adding different, um, I guess, um, different uh variations or different like um levels to to very like basic type of movement um in general but i think one of the fascinating things is kind of like um how technology is measuring a lot of the data nowadays um especially with like health technology um and how they measure like heart rate and like all these different metrics and um, a lot of sports teams are trying to, I would say this is the next wave of how sports teams are trying to, I guess, utilize this health information um, to be able to um, protect their players from injury. And that's um, ideally one of the biggest things, um, both on the player side of things and the team side of things, um, that if they're able to find technology and have these different, um, uh, this different wearable tech, be able to acquire the data and then utilize that data so that they can keep players healthy. I think once that happens, it'll be really fascinating to see like what type of company can capitalize on that. Yeah. Yeah, no, like the health, like the player tracking, honestly, it's not just like fitness and health for kind of, you know, like your consumers like me and you, but there's like that higher level of sports analytics um, where you can, you know, track which players might have that arc on their shot, right? Track a player who is like doing the wrong move at the line for a wide receiver. Like there's going to be like a whole explosion of, of, this whole analytical movement, and I think that it, it it's kind of kind of bubbling up, right? Like a lot of the decision makers in sports are from a different generation, but I think that like you know you have like the sabermetrics, you have like the basketball analytics um, kind of explosion, but yeah, no, those are going to keep keep going. Um, I think it. It just makes sense to use the data that's available. Right. But, and like, yeah. And like specifically with the NBA, they've used sports view technology, I believe since like 2016 or so, um, or I believe like 2013, they've utilized that type of data where 
like you were yeah. saying, it's like a lot of the player tracking movement. Um, and it's, I think it's really fascinating for a lot of these teams to utilize, like, um, and see which shots are most effective. Like, oh, wow, that player is running a bunch of, like, a bunch in comparison to that player. Um, and I think being able to utilize a lot of that data is pretty fascinating um, in itself. Like, I think right now they're in this phase of data collection and may, maybe we're not privy to some of the analysis because we're fans and they want to keep that secret in compa- uh, in comparison to their competitors. Um, but I think it's really fascinating to see how they're going to be able to utilize uh, that information um, and specifically within the health slash like injury prevention um, space, because I think that's probably the next field um, that is possibly coming if I'm foreshadowing a bunch of different things uh, in the future. What do you what do you mean by like? like this injury prevention, like what, like so, what technology do you think that could be useful there? So just in terms of like the amount of, uh, amount of like running that a player does. And there's a certain, like, let's say if they're able to analyze, like if there's a certain breaking point for that player um, in terms of the amount of exercise load that they put on that player. So let's say like, For example, just to put it simply, if we know someone like Steph Curry is going to, is more likely to get injured after running, let's say, six miles on the court yesterday, if you play him in a back-to-back, then maybe you think about restructuring your offense so that you're not running him through a bunch of picks in the next game just so that you have that information or like, and then also being able to kind of utilize like, um, like certain like heart rate monitors and things like that, where if you're able to track certain amount of, um, Oh, beats per minute or beats per minute in terms of, um, Oh, Steph's Steph's heart rate is a little high here. Why is that? Um, the case and how to utilize that information so that maybe he doesn't get tired in a certain stretch of um, certain stretch Uh, and to utilize his minutes later in the game, I think can be really uh, useful for a lot of these teams and players. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, maybe we talk about like machine learning stuff because a lot of that is pretty applicable for that machine learning computer vision. So, right, right. So why don't you why don't you get into it? And this is my place now to step back because I have no idea what. Well, I have a little bit of I have a glimpse of what machine learning is, just because uh, that's what you're uh, what you're into. But uh, let me step back, and why don't you uh, put me through a lesson? Yeah, I mean, so I'm not I'm not super knowledgeable about like the the startups that are doing all this, but I think that the implications and, and like the use cases for this technology are pretty fascinating and like a real like technological leap. So, I mean, one thing that I can immediately see being useful, I'll, I'll con- kind of like go through like sport by sport. Um, let's say something like football, right? Like with football, with this machine learning computer vision, 
like you're basically allowing the computer to see see like what's going on this field the same thing that you and me do but it could do a much like more it, it could do significantly more computations and um and, and analysis than we could do just because it's so much faster so one thing that i might be able to do is let's say that like the patriots are lining up uh two wide receivers like one tight end um you know sony michelle is in, on the field too or like james white let's say right like but those two wide receivers are on the right side um this machine learning model could potentially tell you like hey like patriots are going to run these are like the five plays that patriots have with that formation like let's see who goes in motion oh it's it's uh james white like they're going to run this play right and you almost could have the defenders know what's coming up because the computer is able to say like hey like i know this formation um, I know it's, what, what play they're going to make. So that's like one implication where this computer will, might know and, and you're just going to have to have like much, much trickier plays if that makes sense. It's just going to be a much more dynamic game where it's like, it, it's not just going to be like you call this play, it's going to work. Um, but yeah, that could be one implication in the NFL. Um, another thing is you got a significant amount of data from computer vision as well. So Let's say that uh, DeAndre Hopkins is like going up against one of our sorry, you know, quarterbacks on the Jets. Um, it, it might be able to tell you like the average separation by each wide receiver. Let's say like DeAndre Hopkins is able to get like on average like three feet, right? Um, it just tells you a lot more data about, you know, who might be a good receiver, who might be like a good defender, all this, all this kind of interesting data as well. So that that's like one use case for the NFL right there. Um, yeah, and like, I yeah before I interrupt, one of the things that I kind of wanted to uh, talk about is I think it's a, a really fascinating thing just in terms of like game plan. Um, and I think um, you know the traditional like NFL model, it's they they really harp on like a lot of the study of like just you know Tom Brady, the all time greats really study the formation, study the defenses uh, that they come out in. So they have that library to kind of understand what it is that the defense is running. And basically what you're kind of saying is that machine learning will just speed up that process uh, for a lot of the, a lot of these teams to have that information on hand. Correct. Yep. 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 Exactly. Yeah, it, it really has some fascinating implications. Like if they allow this technology for for what the games might end up looking like in the future, where they're just going to have to be very dynamic and you're going to have to be, you know, like everyone's going to know what everyone else is doing. They're going to have to be much more comfortable with kind of having more chaos <laughs> in the game. Got it. It's it's kind of interesting because we kind we hear about a lot of this stuff in the NBA. If you want to take another sport there, um, with like we pretty much know what people are running in the NBA in terms of a lot of the of the play calls that they make or a lot of the things that they like. A lot of the horn sets are very similar to what are what's being run. Um, throughout the league 
Um, a lot of pick and roll is fairly similar throughout the league as well. So it it, it just kind of comes down to like, is the player executing correctly within that moment um, in comparison to whether or not data is being utilized um, correctly or whether or not like um, coaches really harp on that in their defensive schemes from a night to night basis. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's definitely true. Um, Yeah. The machine learning model wouldn't be as good at, at something as dynamic as that, where you just need like complete real time. Um, but there's no, not as much preparation, if that makes sense. Um, like you can't have like the model analyzed and like the coach constantly like, you know, telling Change the players. things, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the players have to kind of know it themselves too in real mm-hmm. time because it, it's just, it develops so fast. So right. I think that there's still some interesting implications where you still can get, um, I, I think the NBA has a lot of this player data, like right, it does through know. through sports view, like we were yep. talking about before. Yep. Uh, what yeah. other thing did you want to get into with machine learning? I think that like there are some startups out there like trying to help out with like training, so with with machine learning. So okay. one example that could be useful is like golf, right? Mm. Like being able to analyze your swing versus someone like Rory McIlroy or like Jordan Speed, right? Like this, if you kind of believe in that like perfect swing kind of approach, like this kind of model would tell you exactly where you're messing up, right? So that could be like an area of like an example of where machine learning might be able to help you on the golf swing, but there's like already a startup that came out. Um, I think it's called like Home Court that allows you to improve your shot by looking at things like your arc, like your, your shot selection. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's pretty fascinating stuff uh, in terms of what could potentially be, be possible by allowing like these computers to see. Mm, that's fairly interesting. Mike, so do you think there's a sport where you would say technology is being underutilized um, um, within the sport itself? I think the NFL, um, but I do think like most, there, there are so many sports right now that are, that are kind of being underutilized. Um, I, I, I'd almost say like all of them to some degree, but mm-hmm. thing, things are starting to catch up. Like you had the whole theorem metrics because baseball is so many like isolated variables and it's very easy to say, like, cause and effect. Like, basketball, it's just a lot harder to do because you have so many variables. It's like, yeah, like, even though my plus minus is, like, 15 or something with Giannis on the court, um, you, you just see some weird things because of low sample size where it's, like, maybe Giannis with this one player is, like, minus two, but it's such a small sample size, and it's a control for the other players on the court. So it's really hard to, like, control for all these all these different variables, right? Um, which which honestly makes sports exciting. Like you just don't know what's going to happen. Uh, and I I do want to say like I don't want to ever lose that element of like like you just don't know what's going to happen. Like those moments in sports are the best where like the unexpected happens. Um, but right, yeah. where you're like rooting for the underdog. Like sadly, we're you know I'm missing the uh, March Madness tournament and missed all yeah. all this stuff that's happening, but 
the greatest thing happening during the tournament was upsets and things like that. And the underdog pulling off a crazy upset when it, you would think, oh, that's almost impossible, especially like that 16 versus one upset that ended up finally happening uh, when UVA went down that one year. So it's it just like, you, yeah, you definitely don't want to lose that essence of, I would say, unpredictability of live sports, I guess. Yeah. But like, as like a, you know, if, you know, when I was like uh, doing fencing, right, competitively, like trying to use this technology would have been pretty, I, I'm not saying like it, I would have used a ton of it, but like, I do think it would have been fairly interesting to potentially use if, if like the right application were made, like something that could tell me like, hey, like Michael, you are getting, like fencing mats are to 15, and like Michael, you're getting hit like on your shoulder, your right shoulder, like 15 times, right? Um, and you're on like this end of the strip. Like that kind of data and analytics, like it's, it's definitely possible if you count it, like if you like, use human labor to just like count like hey like i got hit 15 times this way but like with the machine it's just like automate automated in some sense so you just get a lot more data and i think that that will lead to a lot of athletes becoming better performers um in the long run once these technologies get released yeah and i think that'll be like the really fascinating thing whether like where how this data and how tech is going to be utilized not just from i would say the big four sports but how it's kind of spread out into different niche markets and then eventually um hopefully like youth sports as well and how that helps um improve performance and develops uh the youth talent in in uh different sports i think it will be really fascinating um and what the implications of using technology can be and whether or not, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about in terms of whether or not technology is a double-edged sword in some ways where some people might have too much information at their disposal and it ends up maybe complicating things for an individual that might not need, might not need that much data. Mm. Yeah, I, that's that's like a I would say, and I'm not on that side of the fence in terms of like, I I feel like that's so more of like an old school way of thinking. Um, but I think it, in some instances it'll be really fascinating to see whether or not data will is, is really that important in in certain instances. Yeah, it, it's going to be iterative. It's going to be iterative, like. You might have a mo like a machine learning model that tells you what you know a team's gonna do, but if all of a sudden like the pa like I don't know the model tells you like ninety five percent certainty the Patriots can do something, but the Patriots also have that model as well. Like you can almost use that information to your advantage. So we'll we'll see. Like there's always like these edge cases that occur when you try and use too many of these. <laughs> if you try and over rely on this technology, but yeah, no, I, I think that for me, like, I, I sometimes feel like there's, like, an underutilization of some of this, like, honestly, like, in tennis, like, golf, whatever, like, in tennis, let's say, like, you, you knew exactly, you know, the tendencies of a certain player, you knew, like, where you were most likely to lose, like, lose points, maybe it's, like, on your forehand, on, like, the, you know, back left, 
Um, yeah, like that kind of data, like just will help you become a better athlete and performer. And um, yeah, it should just push everyone up a little, little bit. Yeah, and obviously, especially when it gets to that pro sport level, those incremental uh, advantages could be the difference between winning and losing. And I think that's where that's why, like, so many people are pushing for these small incremental changes within um, trying to gain an advantage um, on the field. And I'm I'm curious to see how that kind of inter intersects with, um, like, with the ever changing. Um, I guess market with tech, how that change, how that changes sports as a whole, and then in terms of like how that changes gameplay in terms of um, do, like we have all this technology at our disposal, but does the NFL actually allow teams to utilize that information in real time, or is that just being able to being able to utilize that information? in practice sessions, but when you play the game, um, you're not able to utilize it. Like there's certain instances where like the NFL has kind of curtailed some technology being used where um, in terms of like that communication with mics, um, in terms of like the defensive captain um, can have communication with their defensive coordinator, same with the offensive coordinator, but it gets shut off their mics get shut off at, you know, 15 seconds uh, left in the play clock um, so that it kind of maybe evens out the playing field a little bit or levels out the playing field so that technology doesn't have such a huge um, play at the end of the day. And it is ultimately determined by the skill on the field. Um, We're obviously going through like, a huge like scandal with the Astros and stuff like that in baseball with like um, the utilization of different ways to, and creative ways to kind of gain an advantage. Um, So I'm curious to see how that, how technology ends up changing uh, the gameplay in sports. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I I think it'll definitely have to be regulated to be honest. Right. Right. And I think that's where it's going to be interesting to see which decision makers for different sports um, becomes more receptive with technology and which are more the purists and decide to kind of uh, decide to keep a lot of these uh, things outside um, of sports and still, and and make it heavily regulated. Um, I think in terms of like a lot of the injury prevention stuff, I think that can be, an area that'll be really fascinating. And I think um, in terms of what it looks like in the future, that's going to be, I think the, the area that a lot of sports tech um, or technology in general can help um, a lot of these players improve um, their injury prevention and prevent a lot of these injuries. And you see this countless number of times with, um, concussions being a huge um, problem in in football and how technology is really helping try to curb that um, that problem um, by increasing um, the level of research being done um, around concussions and trying to improve the helmets uh, that are being worn by these players. 
um, and then trying to, trying to measure the amount of force that's being um, applied uh, to the helmets and then have that be a reading and kind of utilize those readings um, to determine whether or not concussions are being um, are, are happening at a more frequent level than are actually being um, reported. So I think there's a lot of like implications that technology can have, um, especially with um, injury prevention. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think, um, yeah, the injury prevention stuff will be interesting. I'm not as well versed on that. I know you have like the background on that for, uh, you know, <laughs> my, my bachelor's degree in actually your bachelor's degree. Yep. 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 <laughs> exactly. So uh, that, I guess that's more of an interest area for me. Um, so one of the last things that I did want to talk about before we close out the podcast um, was this kind of emerging field of sports gambling and the legalization of sports gambling. I took a class on this in law school, but um, it's becoming legalized in a lot of different states. Uh, New Jersey has been on the forefront of uh, sports gambling uh, legalization, um, and you're allowed to bet on sports um, in, in, um, in casinos now in, in New Jersey, and you're actually able um, to bet on sports online in New Jersey as well. So, you know, FanDuel ha ha and a bunch of different, um, I would say, companies are opening up online shops um, in preparation. And these have been around for a long time because – um, different countries have lax um, laws um, to sports for sports gambling in comparison to the United States, um, where it's just recently becoming a lot more popularized. So this is another way um, for a lot of these um, pro sports leagues to add an additional revenue stream. The NBA, I believe, was, had a huge deal um, I believe with I, I forget which company it was. It might have been um I'm looking it up right now as we speak. But William Hill and, and the NBA have a sports gambling partnership. Um so even even things like that, how it's really intersecting these pro sports is a really fascinating way um that technology is being utilized here. Yeah, I think so. For the sports gambling, like I've dabbled in it um, a little bit. Like I, I've I've just downloaded the uh, the app. I haven't actually been able to bet any money. I remember I was trying to. I was in Aruba one time. I was trying to bet on. Oh, what was it? I think I was trying to bet on like some like NFL playoff games or something which I think ended up being right. But then, you know, in Aruba, you just couldn't use the app, couldn't bet. So I missed out on some of that. Right, because of the location, um, because like of the location uh, device in terms of um, being able to track your phone location. Yeah. Yeah, no, a lot of money is being poured into like the sports betting area. Um, typically when regulation kind of opens up a certain market like sports betting uh, you tend to see a lot of startups rushing in space a lot of vc money um, that's happened quite a bit before but 
yeah, for the sports gambling thing, like you have your big players like FanDuel and, and um, DraftKings. FanDuel, I think, I think they got acquired for like half a mil, half a bill, and uh, DraftKings is like a three billion dollars. But yeah, no, like among all the sports stars, we're talking about like the, the digital media, which you know, like the Athletic, Bleacher Report are very like loud and very like you know you hear about them a lot. Something like sports gambling, you don't hear about as much, but then you you look at the valuations and you're like, wow, these are very very big companies, to be honest. Yeah, and it'll be really interesting to see how the space kind of moves forward um, in this ever-changing um, field because um, now, like, a lot more states are on the books in terms of trying to um, legalize online sports gambling where you can be basically at your home. Um, and in New Jersey, this is completely legal where you're at your home and you can live bet different games and different sports and different events um and like whether or not and and all those odds are changing and things like that so it's a really fascinating thing to kind of be a part of and i'm curious to see like whether you can utilize that in different sports um arenas when those things when when it becomes legalized um possibly state or nationwide when you're able to um be in the stadium and live bet um whether or not Steph Curry makes or misses that three pointer he's about to shoot or whether no. or not or like the over under as to how many three pointers Steph Curry is going to make in the quarter um mm. and i think that's interesting yeah and it'll make it'll be really interesting to see um whether or not those things will be um a lot or utilized a lot more and i mean i've had firsthand experience kind of uh doing that in terms of um especially when i was watching this uh super bowl at home in new jersey um you're able to place live bets um, during the game as it happened and make all these different types of prop bets and uh, over-under bets and things like that. And it made the game as a, as a fan of football, but as a fan of neither team, a little bit more engaging when you had a, a little bit of coin on the line there. So mm-hmm. it made it kind of interesting in that way. I think I think that'll be the next step in terms of sports gambling and whether or not they're able to get a more widespread legalization nationwide in the United States. But there's also some really fascinating things happening in Europe where, um, and, and I think also the rise of esports is going to be another really fascinating way um, to to kind of intersect sports gambling, but also technology in turn and how how uh, esports is kind of taking off with a lot of these uh, different types of games and whether or not they're even considered sports, but also whether or not those sports or esports um, is going to have a foothold um, within like the tech space or and how tech is going to be able to um, completely revamp or utilize, uh, or how esports is going to utilize tech 
uh, within their space as well. I think that'll be really fascinating. Um, one of the things that I think um, I found really interesting while I was learning about it in class um, during my sports gambling class last uh, year was they would take like, you know how there's a lot of sports that aren't happening obviously um, during, during, you know, during this time because of the coronavirus, they would actually take old sports games um, and have simulations of them happening and people would be able to bet on those simulations, but you wouldn't know which game uh, these, uh, these, uh, I guess like betting houses would be playing up. So they would play, take like a random game from 1977, like a random NBA game from 1977 or so. And you wouldn't know where so they're running like, the simulation on like NBA 2K 2020 or something. I don't, I, it, it's similar to that. Or like, I know they have it in Europe where they'll kind of like take horse racing or something like that. And they have like a library of different horse races. Right. And you bet on a horse and they run that simulation based off of historical races or historical data. So it's not like you can, you know, there won't be any, um, like, kind of worry about whether or not because everyone bet on this horse, uh, the model's going to, or the the computer's going to just kind of make the other horse win because, and, and take everyone's money because, you know what I mean, and not make it fair. But it, it's all based on historical data. So mm. you... And basically be like, oh, this is what race it was based off of. I think it, it makes it a really fascinating way, especially in this time without sports, uh, to make some of these um, really fascinating uh, plays um, with sports betting and technology and how they're util- how how those things are utilized. Yeah. Well, I still think that live sports will will kind of remain kind of king. Um, I don't know. It, it just doesn't sound very entertaining to me to watch, like, an old game, if that makes sense, versus, like, trying to watch, like, new content, which is constantly being created. But, yeah, I, I know, like, on ESPN and, like, CBS, like, they're kind of digging back into the archives a little bit to try and find content. So I, I, I'd be curious to see what the ratings are for some of those things. Like, I really wonder if people are, are looking into it. But, um yeah, honestly, time, yeah. yeah, even if the ratings are good, I, I think that's more of a factor of like the environment rather than it actually being like a compelling product um, that could compete with actual live sports. But we'll see. We'll see. That could be, uh, you know, could totally be wrong on that. But yeah, I don't, know, the, I don't know if it'll compete with live sports, but if it's 3 a.m. somewhere and there's no live sports happening and you can make a quick buck here gambling, on this old game or old simulation of the game, I think people are going to, are going to still put money on it because there will be people out there betting on anything. So I think, um, I think think, it's like an interesting way to fill in the gaps and fill that space. Yeah. I think the gambling though, like the gambling definitely does increase, it it just aligns incentives and makes 
whoever's watching it much more interesting uh, in, in, in the game, right? So, you know, like we, we both have fantasy football teams and I usually don't watch any, you know, I wouldn't watch like a Browns versus, I don't know, Dolphins game, right? But if my running back, Nick Chubb, is playing, like I'm going to kind of care about it. And that's more of a social reason, not a monetary reason like for betting. But at the end of the day, like, you you will care because it aligns your 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 incentives there. So, yeah, I, I think that like if all of a sudden like you have like the sports betting explosion where you know I could bet that Sam Darnold or I don't know some some person like he wins like the touchdown, he leads the league in touchdowns, which I I wouldn't bet on <laughs> to be honest, but. Uh, but yeah, no, that would definitely like make me much more engaged and incentivized to have Sam Darnold be successful and not go out to the bars after a game. <laughs> yes, in Morristown. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, so, Mike, we've kind of run through all the different topics where tech has kind of intersected sports. One of the last questions I wanted to ask you before we head out um, from this podcast and if, if people are still listening to the podcast um, – the last question that I wanted to do, and I think it would be kind of like a fun exercise to do within like five minutes or so is if there is a space that you would want to get involved with, with your own startup, if you had a known startup and if you had an idea, what kind of space would you want to get into and would you find most fascinating? Yeah, I, I think I've told you like one or two ideas that I've kind of thought through there. But I think that one interesting area, like, I honestly, like, I find them all very, very interesting. Um, I think the machine learning stuff would be very fascinating. It's just something, like, completely new that you could do with that technology. There could be, like, a platform that, you know, helps athletes, like, youth athletes, professional athletes, whoever, connect them with coaches, but also give them, like, tools of these machine learning platforms and, like, insights um and it's just like a it's just something that like wouldn't be possible without this new technology so i think the machine learning stuff is interesting um yeah i i like you know i'm a big sports league fan because you know for the past oh man i can't believe it's almost four years since i've been out of college but basically like i've always played basketball and basketball leagues but i think that there's like an area for that like a better sports league experience as well so those are you know two of many like areas that i've kind of found interesting i think the mirror stuff is pretty interesting as well like that that whole platform play like a lot of different a lot of different ways you could take that Sounds good, Mike. Uh, thanks for joining me on the podcast. It was a really fascinating conversation to have with you. Um, maybe a bit jumbled because we we're jumping all over the place and there was so much different, um, different, a lot of different places where technology has kind of um, made its mark on, on the sports world. And um, it's it's all really hard to cover within the space of an hour, but if you guys enjoy this podcast, um, I'd love to get more in depth on more specific um, aspects of the technology within the sports world. So thanks again, Mike, for joining me on the podcast. And as always, uh, 
subscribe and like the podcast if you have not been able to do that on iTunes and Spotify or wherever you guys listen um, to the podcast. So thanks again, Mike. And uh, thanks to our listeners for uh, always tuning in. I got a girl with a mind on love The kind of love that is dangerous It knocks me down but I get back up And I'm addicted, I can't get enough